0: Father, we thank you so much for who you are and for what you seek to do through mere vessel, vessels such as myself and others. And Father, as I stand before you, people, I ask for your Holy Spirit to give me wisdom and direction, and I pray that you may be with everyone listening, that they may be able to take one nugget from this that will draw them closer to you. We thank you for this privilege of being able to come before you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Turn with me in your Bibles, it'll also be on the screen, but turn with me to 1 Corinthians 9 verses 25 through 27. 1 Corinthians 9 verses 25 through 27. And it reads, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in how many things? castaway. Paul is using the analogy of training and athletics to help us understand part of the dynamics of the Christian life. In particular, he focuses on an ingredient that we're going to talk about today. He doesn't say the word, but when he talks about um, running, not as uncertainly, fighting, keeping his body under subjection, what is he talking about here? Self-control. I believe when Paul came up with this through the Holy Spirit, he thought about not only what we need to do in terms of gaining eternal life, but Paul was also looking at what we can do as we live on this earth. Amen? And self-control is very important. Now, I believe if I went through this audience and talked to each one of you, you could tell me one area that you have problems with self-control in. I myself am speaking to you about this, but there are areas in which I have self-control, so each time I preach this, I'm also preaching to myself. We live in a world today that tells us, if you want it, get it. Things about resisting unhealthy desires, emotions, habits, that's not encouraged. And the idea of self-control is foreign to many people. We sometimes desire it, but rarely are we successful with it. God in his word admonishes us about self-control. The word self-control is not used in the Bible, but God admonishes us in different ways. Let's look at some example. In Proverbs 25, 28, you could read it with me, he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down without walls. When you can't rule your emotions, when you can't rule your thoughts, your spirit, it's like you have no defense, lack of self-control. Another verse that we often talk about, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such there is no law. Some people use the word temperance and self-control synonymously. They're a little different but they're kind of the same. We're told by the servant of the Lord that temperance is abstaining from things that are harmful and using judiciously those things that are good for us. Self-control. Now interestingly when you look at this verse, if you go to the verse before the works of the flesh, they all show a lack of self-control. Adultery. Fornication, idolatry, wrath, strife, murder, drunkenness, all of these works of the flesh show a lack of self-control. So God wants us to have that control. And then in Titus 2, I'm not going to read all the verses, but in Titus, when, when Titus gives the admonition to the different age groups and to the different gender, if you know that verse, he talks to aged men, he talks to aged women, young men, young women, You remember that verse? We won't take the time to look at it today. But if you look at that verse, there's a word that he constantly uses for his admonition to each group. And that's the word sober. He wants them to be sober, each group. Now, in order to be sober, sober refers to clear thinking. And in order to exercise self-control, we must be thinkers. Amen? Our desires, our urges, our tendencies must be approached with careful Rational, clear thinking. So when Titus is giving this admonition, he's saying, Older men, I want you to be sober. I want you to exercise self-control. Young men, I want you to do the same. Be sober. Young women, older women. That whole, he doesn't leave anybody out when he talks about the idea of sobering themselves and and, and exercising clear thinking. Now, if we look at the Bible, and I wish we had time, we can look at the biographies of many people in the Bible and see that most of them, sadly, did not exercise self-control. Amen. There's a few that did. I'm just going to mention a few. Esau. Remember Esau came in from working as wet, was very hungry. He exercised a lack of self-control when he said to, uh, I believe it was uh, Jacob, he said please give me that pot of lentils. I will do anything. I'll give up these blessings for you to give me the pot of lentils. An example of a lack of self-control. Another person who showed some self-control and this is one of my favorite characters in the Bible is Joseph. When Potiphar's wife came at him, he fled. One of the best ways to deal with self-control is to flee. And he was successful with it. Now Moses' biography is interesting. Remember when Moses was ruling in Egypt and he saw the Egyptian man doing something to the Hebrew slave? He showed a lack of self-control because he instantly went out and killed that man, didn't he? Then he was sent to 40 years in the wilderness to learn, you need to control yourself. Because you're going to be dealing with some hard-headed people. And then for 40 years he dealt with Israel and showed a lot of control until the very end when he struck that rock instead of speaking to it. So Moses had an up and down history, but God is so merciful in spite of that, he still took him to heaven. That's the merciful God that we, sh- that we serve. Um, and then with David, the history with Bathsheba, surely showing a lack of self-control. Then we have Samson, the strongest man in the world, but also the weakest. He showed a lack of self-control in choosing women. He showed a lack of self-control. I believe there was a riddle that he gave them to solve one day, and he thought that he was going to trip them up, and they deceived his um, mate at that time, and they they were able to get the answer, remember? And what did he do? He killed several uh, animals. and and did several things showing his lack of self-control so he could get the gift, the garments that he offered to them. And Daniel, another favorite of my characters, purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. And I could go on and on about the different characters in the Bible, but you see, you get the idea. Uh, Many of them suffered and struggled with self-control, but we can also look through history. Alexander the Great conquered all these nations, but I believe if history tells me correctly, he died in a drunken stupor lack of self-control. And then we have, coming up to more contemporary times, we hear of leaders falling because of different problems with affairs. We hear people having problems with drinking. We, we can go on and on with history. And then when we come closer to home and look at our own lives, some of us have problems with appetite. Some of us have problems with this thing that I'm using right now, the tongue. Some of us have problems controlling our emotions. The list goes on and on. Self-control is a real issue. And there are three main areas that are prominent for looking at self-control. And I'm going to just look at one today. The main areas are behaviors and activities, our words, and our thinking then there's also emotions but today i'll be focusing more on behavior and activity now there was a study excuse me done by the barner group you ever heard of the barner group they're a group of people who do a lot conducts research with a lot of christians in in the united states and they study the favorite sins and and temptations that people admit to in the usa i have the chart but i wasn't able to show that and some of the sins that people admitted to was eating too much, spending too much money, gossiping, feeling jealous, viewing porn, engaging in a a sexually inappropriate behavior, lying, cheating. You know, the interesting things, the worse the temptations got, the fewer people admitted to that. It's hard for us to admit to what we're having problems with. And then they asked the respondents, How do you resist temptation? What do you do when temptation comes your way? And it was just interesting. 18% of those who responded said that they pray. 12% said that they use reason and reminders. 10% said they just say no. Do you remember Nancy Reagan having that campaign? Uh, If you kept up to it, you'll find out the campaign didn't really work, did it? People became more aware of drug use, but it did not affect or decrease people using drugs. 3% used willpower, which sometimes is also used synonymously with self control. And 1%, I thought it was cute, they said they just go to bed. <laughs> That's how they resist. Okay? So there are people, there are different ways that we deal with self control. Now, psychologists have become very interested in this area. You know, the thing that I like about how God has led me, I used to be in practice, and many of the things I did in practice, the Lord impressed me that some of those things are not biblical. I still believe in counseling, but we have to use God's methods, amen? But what I'm getting excited about, as I look at research, I'm seeing that the rocks are crying out, and many of the things that God told us thousands of years ago, science is starting to show. And psychologists have become interested in this whole area of willpower. Some of them use the word regulation, some of them use the word self-control, but they're becoming interested in this. And I'm going to share some of that with you today, if you don't mind. I am a teacher more than a preacher, okay? So I'm going to share some of what I found out. There was a study done way back in the 1960s with several preschoolers by Dr. Walter Michel, and listen to what he did. He presented them with the choice of eating one marshmallow now, or two marshmallows 15 – some of you are uh, shaking your head, you probably heard the study – 15 minutes later. So he said to the preschooler, if you eat this one uh, marshmallow, you'll only get one right now, but if you wait, I'll give you two. And it was interesting what he found, because he followed these people for decades later. Look at what he found. You, um, You will see with me on the screen. The ones who waited for 15 minutes, they had better relationships. I don't know if I'm reading it in the right order here, but it's up there. They were better adjusted. They were less likely to abuse drugs. They had better relationships. They were better at handling stress. They obtained higher degrees and they earned more money. That one little test of waiting for 15 minutes determined how successful they were in life later on. Psychologists have done research and they found two major things that help people do well in life. One is intelligence and one is self-control. Which one do you think they found is the most important of those two? Self-control. When I read the research, I said to myself, this is why we see some very smart people not doing well in life. They lack self-discipline and they lack self-control. It used to baffle me. I'd see people not doing well and i said, but he's so smart, but she's so smart. And then when I started to study this, I recognized the reason for many of them is that they've not learned how to be disciplined. They've not learned how to control themselves. And when they look at students, they find that students who uh, exercise self-control, they do better in school. Why? They're more likely to show up for class on time. They're more likely to start their homework earlier and they're more likely, instead of wanting to go and hang out with their friends, they're going to do what they need to do for class. All about self-control. You all are seeing, are you getting the picture of how important self-control is? Now Dr. Baumeister, he's a psychologist and he studied this topic for about 10 years. And he came up with some key ingredients that if you're writing, I want you to write these down, you can use for yourself and share with other people about ways that you can increase self-control. One of the things he found, and it'll ring familiar with you if you think of biblical principles, he found that to develop self-control, you have to have a long-range focus instead of a here and now focus. Y'all following that? If you know, I would like to be a doctor, I would like to be a lawyer, a flight attendant or whatever you'd like to be, and you keep that in your mind, you will be more likely to exercise self-control. Do you see any analogies for the Christian walk? If we live recognizing there's an eternal world, there's an eternity, there's a time where we can live with God, and the things I'm doing now will either help me towards that long-term goal, or it will take away. But if I just live for here and now, I'm not going to exercise self-control as much. That's one thing that Dr. Bollmeister found, and he is not a Christian. This is just pure science. Another thing he found that I thought was kind of of biblical, he says, develop a self- forgetful attitude. Develop a self-forgetful attitude. Distract yourself from your own desires and difficulties. Remember that experiment I talked about earlier with the young people, the preschoolers? The preschoolers who waited, you know what they did? The marshmallow was right in front of them, but the one who waited for 15 minutes, they looked around the room, they sang, "Mm -hmm They looked away, covered their eyes from the marshmallows. These were children. But we as adults need to do the same thing when we're dealing with things that we're struggling with. It can't be just about focusing on that particular thing you want or that you want to say or do. You have to have a self-forgetful attitude. Being too self-focused gets us in trouble a lot, brothers and sisters. I know I can say that for myself. I don't know about you. A third thing that he found was to have what is known as a pre-commitment strategy. You have to commit yourself about what you're going to do, especially when you know you're going to get into situations where that temptation will be real for you. That's what Daniel did. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. He made that pre-commitment. There's a story told about Henry Stanley, and I'm sure you've heard about David Livingston. David Livingston was, went to um, Africa, wanted to stop the slave trade and did some other things, and for years no one heard from David Livingston. And Henry Stanley took a group of men and he resolved that he was going to find David Livingston. Now during the time that he was looking, they ran, ran across many things. He, they ran across people getting sick and dying from malaria. They ran across people who were um, escaped from being killed. People were just dying and getting sick. But nothing happened to Henry Stanley. I shouldn't say nothing happened. I should say he kept going. And I like to read what he says. He took a solemn oath. And he says, um, "There will be, while the least of hope remains in me, I will not be tempted to break the resolution I have found, never to give up the search until I find Livingston alive. No matter what happens, he wrote this in his diary. And do you know Henry Stanley ended up finding David Livingston? He made a pre-commitment strategy. Brothers and sisters, we need to be making some strategies. Lord, I'm struggling in this area, but by your help, I am committed that I am going to address this in this way. You may fail sometimes, that's okay, but keep making those, strateg- those pre-commitment strategies. Another thing that Dr. Bowmeister and his researchers found was make your resolutions in front of another person. And that person has to mean something to you. The research shows that when we make a resolution in front of another person, you know, I have this problem in this area, and I am committed to doing something about this, that person also becomes what we call an accountability partner. Have you heard of that? Very helpful in dealing with issues that you're struggling with. Another thing that he said was, set up clear rules for whatever tempts you. Set up clear rules for whatever tempts you. It's interesting what he says, and I have to read this. He says, if you are a smoker or a drinker, and this can be applied in any case, but I'm just using these two examples, promising yourself to drink or smoke moderately is not good enough. This is a fuzzy boundary where there's no obvious point at which you go from moderate to excess. He says you have to set a clear line Zero tolerance. You can't say, I'm struggling with sweets. I'm just going to eat one sweet today and one tomorrow. Until you get the victory over that, you have to set a clear line. No sweets until I get the victory over that. Y'all following me? Um, No has to be a clear line. And Romans tells us this. Actually, Paul tells us this in Romans. Make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Many of the times we make provisions for the fest. You've heard of the story with Johnny. You've heard of the story with Johnny. Johnny's mother said, Johnny, do not go swimming in the pool. Right? One day she came home, Johnny came home wet. And the mother said, Johnny, what did you do? Well, I brought my bathing suit in case I wanted to swim. (laughs) He made provisions for the flesh. We're laughing, but we do that in our own lives sometimes. We have to set that clear rule. Now, this next step is the last one I'm going to mention. There are many others. Um, I'm going to talk about a few other things after that. But he says, become more consistent. Now, realize this is a secular psychologist. He's looking at the research become more consistent with religious activities. I thought that was so interesting. Studies show that for the most part, religious people, when you compare them to non-religious people, this is not saying religious people don't struggle with self-control, but when you compare them with non-religious people, they tend to exercise more self-control. And there are several reasons for this. For one, religion, the research shows, builds the power to resist. They studied children who go to Sunday school, and this was interesting. Children who devoutly attend Sunday school, and we can add Sabbath school, they score higher on tests of self-discipline. They also found that religious devout children tend to be less impulsive. Religion also improves the monitoring behavior. Not only are we thinking there's a God who's watching us, but being in a religious group also keeps us alert for in case we see such and such, sister such and such at the store. You know, it gives us a group that kind of monitors our behavior. And people tend to exercise less less self-control when they feel that no one is watching. And so the idea of having the fact that there might be a God or supernatural being paying attention to what you do. Now, you have to have that in perspective because some of us grow up with this idea that God is checking off every time we do wrong. I'm not saying that. But understanding that he's watching and that there are things he requires of us and doing it out of love because it's with love that we obey God the best. Another thing they found with uh, um, religious people is that prayer helps. Again, remember, these are secular psychologists. Prayer helps because it forces people to to interrupt their daily activities in order to pray. So when you have that habit of interrupting your daily activities to pray, that develops some self-control with you. And it's interesting, I heard a pastor talking one day, I think it was Richard O'Feel. He met a woman who he um, had known for a while and he noticed that she lost weight. And so he said to her, what did you do? And she says, I prayed and at first it didn't make sense to him but he said I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna you know pray myself and he found as he prayed his self-control increased he started to do more things in in different areas so prayer is very important and when neuroscientists observe people praying or meditating they see strong activity in parts of the brain that is also important for self-control isn't that interesting when they measure the brain and you pray Activities are going on that, in that area of the brain that also helps you with self-control. So praying is really something. And one psychologist, Dr. M- M- McCullough, says prayer and meditation are a kind of workout for self-control. See, psychologists can't run anymore from the importance of religion. When I was going through graduate school, religion was poo-poo. That was twenty something years ago. You know, oh, Magna, you're a religious person, bless your heart. But now psychologists can no longer run from that because the the research is screaming that we have to look at religion. Now this was really interesting. The study showed that the reason that you attend church can also affect your self-control. If you go to church, because you want to have a good time. If you go to work, church, because you want to see your friends, versus going to church because of a relationship with God, the studies show you will have less self control. Isn't that interesting? The reason for which you do these activities, the reason for which you attend church, can have an impact on how well you can control your different things that you're struggling with. And the the studies go on and on. They showed that they they also looked at glucose levels and they found that people who are struggling with hypoglycemia or their sugar levels are always high, they have a problem with self-control too. Actually, they did a study with prisoners and they monitored their glucose levels and the prisoners who had the lower glucose levels, they were less likely to come back into the prison. It's so interesting, and all of this is related to self-control. Now, we're talking about religion, and the servant of the Lord, way before the psychologist started to find out about the importance of religion and self-control, she said something, and you'll see it on the screen, about religion. She says, true religion teaches self-control. Say that with me. True religion teaches self-control. I thought it was interesting that she just didn't say religion teaches self-control, right? She says true religion teaches self-control. I have another one that she has, you'll see on the screen, from the In Desire of Ages. She says the highest evidence of nobility in a Christian is what? Self-control. The highest evidence of nobility in a Christian is self-control. Now, I've talked about all these strategies. I've talked about pre-commitment strategy. I've talked about setting clear boundaries, you know, and talked about other things. But brothers and sisters, this is the only the human part of self-control. True self-control only comes when God's spirit reigns within us. That's what Galatians 5.22 says, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, temperance. When God's spirit dwells within, that's when we get the true self-control. And this is true because when you look at, you've heard of different people exercising self-control and doing these powerful feats like somebody stayed in an ice place for so many hours and did all these things. But when you look at their lives, they lack self-control in other areas because that spiritual peace is missing. So even though I shared all of these things, I want you to understand that in the long run, unless we look to God, uh, we will not have that true self-control. That's why the Bible says, I can do how many things? Through Christ, which strengthens us. I can resist that piece of cake. I cannot talk about people as much as I do. Whatever problem you have, you can do it all through Christ which strengtheneth you. I don't know why I keep talking about cake. Maybe that's a problem for me. I don't know. But that's the only example I keep thinking of. And then Philippians 2.12 says, for it is who who works in you? God who worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So God has to be within us in order for us to really have that true self-control. And then we're told by the servant of the Lord again, she says, the willpower is to be under God's control. I read somewhere where someone said, the writer pointed out that regarding self-control, there's a difference between godly self-control and worldly self-control. All of the things that I just gave you earlier, the different tips for self-control, if you do that, you will have worldly self-control and that can make you successful in life. But we want self-control that will not only help me resist cake, do well in school, adjust well, but we want that self-control that will glorify who? and that's what we have to keep in mind as Christians as we're striving for the self-control. Father, I don't want to glorify me. I don't want to glorify Magna. I want to glorify you. And so I want to put away these things because I want to be a better witness for you. And that's what we must ever keep in mind. Now the most um Uh, Sometimes we feel really overwhelmed with this thing about self-control. But God can be, he can be there for us and he can help us if we will yield to him. Listen to this quote as you read it on the screen. It is our privilege as children of God to hold fast the profession of our faith without what? Wavering. Wavering. At times, the masterly power of temptation seems to tax our willpower to the what? Uttermost. And to exercise faith seems utterly contrary to all the evidences of self or emotion. But our will must be kept on whose side? God's side. I'm talking about willpower and self-control today, but there's a slight difference between the will and willpower. The will has to do with making a decision. Some of us have problems with making a decision. You ever met people like that? They also too might have problems with self-control, but God wants us to make decisions and not waffle. And he says here that if we keep that decision-making power he's given to us on his side, he will help us in the area of overcoming those things that um, tempt us. Now who was the ultimate model of self-control that we know of that's ever lived on this earth? Jesus Christ, the ultimate model of self-control throughout his life. Can you imagine being brought before rulers, being spit on the face, um, torn, clothes torn off and just standing there and doing nothing? Talk about self-control, especially when you have the power to call angels to your side and just demolish these people ultimate model of self control and throughout his life he was mistreated but he showed self control especially in the wilderness he came and overcame an appetite and pride of life in various areas he did what our, uh, he took over where our father adam failed especially in the area of appetite we're told And one of the keys to the self-control that Christ exemplified was the fact that the glory of his father was more important than what he desired or than what he wanted. The glory of the father was more important than what he desired and what he wanted. Oh, I long to get to that point, don't you? Where all the decisions you make, you're seeking to glorify God more than self. This is not something that will come overnight, brothers and sisters. Every single day you have to make that decision: Am I glorifying God or am I glorifying self? in everything that we do, listen to this quote you 'll see it on the screen in man 's behalf, Christ conquered by enduring the severest test for our sake, He exercised a what self-control. a self control. Um, stronger than hunger or death. I tried to imagine what kind of self-control that is, that's stronger than hunger and death, and my mind couldn't really wrap around it, but I believe these words because they're inspired. That he endured a a self-control or he exercised a self-control that is stronger than hunger or death. And he did it on our behalf. Self control is at the root of so many of our difficulties. There are people who come and smile and you see them happy, but in the deep, dark recesses of the night or behind closed doors, some people are struggling with some things. Some of you might be sitting out right today in the audience. Some of you may be listening. You're struggling. I pray that something that I've shared today, one thing, You can start working on and asking God to help you develop more control in your life. He can do that. Do you believe that? If you're sitting today, I want you to just think to yourself and make that pre-commitment in your heart even now. Father, this is an area I want to give to you because I'm struggling with it and I believe that you can give me the power to overcome. Make that commitment in your heart today, even as I talk. Each one of us have an area that we have to work on. It may be our emotions I mentioned earlier. For some it may be our diet. Lunch is right after this. As you go through the line, (laughs) self-control. Some of us it may be our thoughts. I'll be honest, my problem, one of my problems is words. Sometimes I speak before I think. And you know, you can hurt people. Self-control with your words. Even, uh, I mentioned our thoughts. There are certain habits that we have to get rid of. It might be different areas, but all of us are dealing with things. Be not discouraged, though. But Christ said, I have overcome the what? Word. The world. We can be overcomers as well. The Word of God tells us, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will do what? draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. James tells us that in chapter 5 verses 7 and 8. We must make that determination in our hearts and ask God to give us the strength that he need. Do you believe God can give you the strength that you need? Yes. Bow with me as we just close. I'm ending a little early but just bow with me because I want to pray for anybody here who's struggling with self-control including myself. Bow with me. Father, you know your people. There are precious people who are sitting before me today, who are listening out in the um, the world of television, who are struggling with things, habits that they want to overcome, Father, desires that they're struggling with, words that they need to get a control of, emotions, appetite. You know what the things are. Lord, I plead for each person today that they may make a commitment in their heart, make that resolution, find someone that they can work with to overcome the areas that they struggle with. Father, we believe that all things through you are possible, and we believe that when we ask this, you will do it for us. So I present my people before you, and I thank you for what you've given us in our word to overcome, and may we believe your promises and trust that when we submit ourselves, the devil will flee from us. Be with our precious people today, and thank you for this time to share. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God be with each of you.